Hello and welcome to your weekly podcast from Freestyle Media in partnership with The Magic 5 where you can get 15% off uh, all of their gear uh, by using the link in the description to this episode. Uh, And do check out Oxalt Strength and Conditioning. Uh, You can find his new at-home bodyweight training program uh, for just £20. Uh, So do check that out. That is www.oxalt.com. So this week uh, we're going to talk about racing uh, but specifically, how many races should we be doing each year? Uh, you know, how many competitions is the right amount? How often should we be primed for racing? All that kind of stuff. Um, so to join me in that conversation uh, is coach Abby Whiting. Uh, and making his debut on the podcast is Ken Flett. Uh, so how are you, Ken? A good job. I've tried to avoid this for quite a long time. So you finally managed to persuade me to get on this. Well, it's funny because... Um, uh, I did a podcast, of course, with James uh, James Barwick uh, earlier last year, and I think you guys have been out to the uh, the Euros together. And I managed to chop you off the photo, and that wasn't actually intentional. It was just because of the thumbnail size. And I think it's been a bit of a running joke ever since that you you keep nearly making it on the podcast, either image wise or actually audio wise. But here you are; you've made it. Well done. I, I fully expect you to cut me out of this too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how are you, Abby? It's nice to have you back on. I'm all good, and I'm really glad that I've stitched Ken up for this because I know how much he's loving it already. Yeah, well, uh, Ken, I believe, has prepared um, some serious notes, uh, so we're expecting real quality from him um, today. Um, but, Abby, I, I will come to you first. Obviously, it's great having you on as, as a coach from a coach's perspective. Um, I'm just going to go straight in with a with quite a, a big question, really, in terms of what, what do you think is the ideal number of competitions per year? So, just just before you answer that, I want the caveat here to be all, all things being equal for people. And let's just say, you know, because, of course, lots of us have busy lives. We have things going on, family commitments. Let, let's just say that people have a clear run through the year, diary-wise, injury-wise. How many kind of competitions would you say per year is the right amount? So if you have a clear run through the year, you've not got any commitments or anything like that, I would say you probably do two to three major meets a year. On top of that, you may then do four prep meets, so one before each competition, um, and then a couple of fun ones in there, maybe team building, team bonding, galas, cups, that kind of stuff. Um, But like you said, it depends on the person and it depends on the event year. So look at this year, for example, we've got such a crazy event year because British has been moved. Actually, that means that some of the prep meets like Welsh nationals that we would have normally done aren't going to be in there this year. So as much as I can say two to three kind of majors, four kind of preps and a couple of fun ones, that obviously is year dependent and, like you said, person dependent as well. Mm. The, the the fun sort of team bonding one's an interesting thing because last year, my first competition of the year, I'm talking calendar year here, was sort of mid-March and it was actually just a relays competition. So there were no individual. And it was a really nice way to start the year because, I mean, literally we were there as a team. But that kind of pressure of individuals was was off, so nobody was kind of getting PBs. You were kind of getting PBs for, for your relay team, but there was just something really fun, and it was a Saturday night as well, so it kind of took you back to when you are an age group swimmer doing evening galas, and it just had a really nice feel about it, and it was a good way, as I say, to kick the year off. Yeah, um, we did one similar like that. It was called Maltby Gala, and we do it every yeah. year, and it's kind of us, Lincoln Pentacle, a couple of other guys, um, and we do it on a Saturday night like you do. It normally falls after um, Swansea, so... It normally kind of falls as we finish that second block of the year and we're about to go into champs. It's a team builder. We all go for a carvery after, you know, it's like you said, it's 
it's almost it just kind of gives you that little bit of positivity in what can sometimes be a long season especially with Europeans when it ends up in like August time um sometimes so yeah it gives you that little bit of positivity halfway through the year I think so yeah it's really nice yeah I completely agree I'm just gonna ask you a couple more questions before I bring Ken in um just while we're on the theme of you know how many competitions a year etc in terms of a competition let, let's say it's a one dayer how many races per per day would you would you suggest that people do um so again depends on your stroke depends on who you are depends on everything is so dependent on the person that you are and the swimmer that you are if say we looked at a hundred freestyler for example i would say probably three events in a day because they're going to be more likely to be a sprinter they're more likely to produce more lactate that you know they're going to need longer to cool off you know um, if you're looking at someone say a 400 freestyler they might want to do the two the one a little sprint in there so they might be looking at four or five um i know for example we've got people like ken on the podcast who do freestyle and fly so they might end up with again three or four depending on the distance i think it depends on the person um i with my guys i would say they are not allowed to do any more than five a day and that is just because they will just ruin themselves. Mm. And that's, um, <laughs> Ken's got in a face at me. You haven't had to do more than five a day. Just, well, let's not include relays in that. Let's not include relays in that. But yeah, I think five a day is kind of where I'd say stop. If there's a few 50s in there, maybe one or two more. But at the end of the day, it's about what you want to focus on. If you if your major event is at the end of the last session, what is the point in killing yourself throughout the day? Yes, a couple of events to warm yourself up, to kind of reduce that anxiety, to get your race ready, absolutely fine. But there is no point in that last race being the most important one and you being shattered from the morning. There's just no point. Yeah, I completely agree. It's always, um, it is always that trade-off, especially if you're traveling quite far for a competition. Part of you thinks, well, you know, I want to get my money's worth or my time's worth and enter all of these things. And I've actually done this in the past where I've gone and I've entered, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I've got then I've thought, you know, I can't really be, be bothered with X and Y. I just want to focus on Z. I kind of wish I'd not bothered entering those ones now. But it's hard when you're kind of two months out from it and, you, and you're having to enter before it all kind of fills up and you just have to kind of make that make that decision. But um, Ken, you, you know, you would just mention there as a, as a freestyle swimmer and a fly swimmer and I know you're a, you're a sprinter predominantly, although apparently you were doing 400s last night, which which you were really enjoying. Um, in your experience, if you have any experience of sort of racing 200s, would you say you were the sort of guy that if you were racing, let's say, two, 100s, 200s, do you, do you reckon you could enter three or four of those in one day as opposed to if you were just doing 50s, would you find it? Which one would you find easier sort of if you were going for more of the distance ones or more of the sprint ones if you were doing several in a day? Yeah, interesting question, Joe. Um, <clears throat> I've never raced a 200 in, a, in, in over a year at least. And my last one was an absolute disaster at Moorways, um, which was an absolute shocker. Um, but I have actually entered one at the Silver City Week, which is more of a test to kind of see what difference this year's training block has, has made. Um, so I've got no reference point as to doing sort of multiple, I think, long distance but um, events. Um, I find sort of doing heavy sort of 50 sprints and 100 sprints pretty sort of taxing as well as then the odd relay thrown in by Jonathan and Jamie, just good measure, which seems to take it out of me even more, to be honest. So I think it's going to be interesting. I certainly 
sort of resonate with Abby's kind of explanation of work into prep sets through competition and, and being very mindful of how many you enter in the recovery. And I think, you know, that's certainly something that we've experienced when we did that um, Derbyshire meet um, long course the other year, which was long course with no swimming down pool. And you come out and you're absolutely bubbling and can't recover and get back in and do something else. It's just, I just find it certainly really difficult to get rid of that lactate. So, you know, I, I find that kind of one sort of series one per, per session is probably about the max I'm capable of doing, to be honest. That's a really interesting point about the one per session because actually Nationals uh, in October last year was was the perfect schedule for me it was the most perfect schedule i've ever seen in terms of what i wanted to race because i never had a conflict of two races being in the same session so over the course of the weekend from friday all the way through to sunday i never raced more than once a session um and i didn't feel as though i had to sacrifice anything and um, that worked really really well for me because you're talking one race every four or five hours and actually yeah you can have some food and I mean, I, I've got to say, your your performance at that meet was phenomenal, and, and the amount of improvement that you made on the fifty free and the hundred free was just outstanding. Thank you very much. That no, it's very nice of you, and that certainly wasn't what I was asking uh, asking for. <laughs> no, no, th- thank you, Ken. That was that was very nice of you. Um, but uh, Abby, I'll come back to you. So around the idea, uh, idea, sorry, of peri- periodizing. Um, the training so that you can be primed for these major meets you kind of mentioned at the top there about two to three major meets per year um which has kind of answered the question that I was going to ask around how many per year do you reckon you should sort of aim for so would you say that if for these big primed ones they're the ones that you would you know build towards taper for you'd do all the classic you know you'd have a shave down you'd kind of get, get all the new gear a new suit all that kind of stuff is that is that kind of what you're thinking yeah so yeah so obviously for any major meet we look at tapering down we look at working up to um so we obviously do our cycles throughout the year so when we look at our macro in august time we kind of go right what do we want out this season what's our year plan that then breaks down kind of into mesocycles so what do we need to look at between this gap so for example this year between October and December, I was like, right, we need to get an aerobic block in and we need to get some distance in now. Um, and then obviously within that, we kind of break that down even further if we need to, to kind of the micro cycles of it. Um, and we build those up to those two major meets a year, two, three major meets. Um, my guys will tell you that they always feel a lot more primed for long course nationals than they do short course because we've got a whole season to build those blocks. So it's like building a wall at the beginning of the season, we've got a few layers on there. We've kind of built to where we're good and we can go, we can go, we can go. But actually, where they're going to swim the best, although they're two primed meets, is going to be that long course nationals because they've had longer to build and build and build it up. Um, obviously, Europeans was a bit different. Not last year, the year before, was it last year before 2022? Mm. For Jamie and Jonathan, because we kind of did long course nationals and then I think it was seven weeks we then had till the to the Europeans and obviously we like a cycle to be kind of over eight weeks to allow for extra extra time and kind of for knowing if an injury comes in we can change a week and um 
so that was a bit different but I think Jamie Jonathan will tell you that that cycle worked really well for us because we'd had that block earlier in the year and they definitely swam quicker in August as they did in June because again we've had that extra eight weeks of training on top of it um so yeah you you'll have two meets a year two three minutes a year where it might be like major prime meets but everything you do and like as a coach I think Ken will tell you this that everything we do has a reason behind it like I never look at our yearly plan when I'm doing it in August and go right this is what we're going to do this year they could all turn to me in August and go what when what how where you know and I could tell them everything because there is no point planning your season without knowing exactly what you're planning it for um obviously that can be a bit hard with masters um because we don't always know when things are going to be so when did I think we found out when did we find out about British I think it was a couple of days after I'd started my planning and I was like right okay this now needs to be like turned on its head a little bit because this is where we need to prime to and you just make those adaptions and one thing I'll say to kind of any coach looking to start that period periodization, I can't even say the word <laughs> um, to start their planning is work backwards and I've always found that the easiest way so I look at the meet and then I work all the way back to when we are now because I find that the easiest way to work out kind of where we're going and what we're doing it for and how it all fits together because if it doesn't all fit together my, I mean I've got it wrong before um, a couple of years ago I thought we'd go into a meet really really well and it, we kind of came out like oh that didn't quite go to plan um and then you make your adaptions to your plan then but yeah it's uh you, men- you mentioned at the top there about an eight week uh, eight weeks being an ideal amount of time uh, obviously if you're if you're doing sort of two to three major meets per year we're talking four preferably four months uh, you yeah. know of time how, how what would you say was the ideal amount of time so when you finish one major competition ideally how long do you want before the next one so when I say like the ideal time between meets and then the ideal cycle my ideal my the shortest cycle I'd like it to be is eight weeks that is the shortest I will go I don't think yeah. there's any point in doing a six-week cycle um, unless you are already primed and you are back to backing it for another major meet which again you're going to end up with fatigue so eight weeks to say the minimum. The longest one I've done is 14 weeks, which I understand is a little bit long. I think it's like, I think standard is eight to 12. Um, but kind of going to that 14 extends it more. I think you need at least 14 weeks between meets, if not at least 12 weeks, because you need to have a week after the competition to recover because you have just worked your off all the way up to, you know, the competition you then need to have a week and we just have a week where we just get in and we just have fun and we just you know we refresh we restart we re-goal you know all that stuff and then obviously take out the week of tape at the other end you've got 12 weeks so kind of between I'd say between 12 and 14 weeks obviously sometimes it doesn't always fall that way so um we've obviously got we came back in January and British Champs is at the end of April which is super short so what I've done there is I've done as kind of a really small macro cycle as we've come back so we've taken two weeks off that and then because of like we've got like the APB and stuff in the middle we're going to take our foot off the gas a tiny bit and then we're going to go back on so the cycle in theory is about I think it's about 14 weeks altogether. So again, yeah, that long, that longer cycle. Sounds good. Ken, 2023 for you was, um, was a year that you, you mapped out very much. I mean, as soon as we, as soon as we started talking and, and we started swimming together at Belper, it was very clear that you had a plan for the year. So what, what was your experience like last year around um, the big meets that you wanted to target and therefore producing a bit of a, a training block if you like mentally as well as physically and then kind of preparing yourself for the major meet 
Yeah, it's interesting when you when you reference that because I actually this is where Abby rolls her eyes at me yet again. Um, I didn't break post Europeans 2022 until I got banned from the pool by Abby a couple of months ago. Um, so I ran straight <laughs> through. Um, we then got you thrashing up and down the pool. Um, then I went through with sort of joining with Cost and doing some relays with them into the British and nationals with them. Went to European Masters, had a bit of hiccup where didn't get to Japan in the end, and then was training even harder because of that. Um, and got myself in a bit of a hole. Uh, which which Abby will uh, probably tell you about in a minute. Um, and I didn't plan at all well at all. I and I was going really heavy in the gym, and to the extent that it was just being counterproductive to what we're doing in the pool. Um, and that was getting me in a, a bit of a vicious cycle when it was coming up to meet planning. And I was because I was just basically entering whatever and whenever. I was allowed by um, my better half. Um, but now, you know, I've been much more purposeful this season about I'm targeting these meets. It's a bit like Silver City meet, which I'm really looking forward to. Fantastic club and lots of great people up there. Um, that just looking to really enjoy the meet, to be quite honest, and have a go at 200, see what that looks like. So Spencer, anybody else, Please pull me along on that one. If anybody's in the lane next to me, greatly appreciate some decent pacing so I don't get up telling off from Abby when I get back. Um, but, you know, I think trying to look at what you get out of them, trying different things and some of the, the different meets building into your target meets is something that I'm much more specific with this year round. Um, the pressure that Swifty and Jamie and Jonathan and Tim are putting on me for. Uh, British long course relays is palpable. That's in the back of my head every day. <laughs> well, I mean that's that's really interesting because um, if, if I'm honest, I didn't realise you felt that way about your 2023 in terms of going going perhaps too hard. And um, I read a really good quote the other day actually, which was um, uh, consistency beats intensity. And um, I think I think it's a really really good. Um, it's a really good phrase, and you know, it's really hard to get these things right. Uh, I don't, I don't think any of us can ever sit there and say we've cracked it. Uh, we're always trying, aren't we? But I think, um, uh, you know, and and this goes back to my volume point. I've all, I've always believed that swimmers do far too much. You know, I'm talking the the guys that, that do this full time. When you think the amount of meters they do every week, and and a lot of these guys are racing hundreds, and I just think it's so much. And I just, I, I do actually think you don't need to do as much as you think. I think that I think there's this culture of I need to do more than the next person to beat them. And I think sometimes actually less, less is more. It's more about the consistency. And so it's a very interesting point you made there, Ken. And um, obviously, fingers crossed this year you've, um, you know, perhaps learned some lessons. And obviously you can you drop it off slightly, keep the consistency there with your training, um, but just it, it decrease the intensity and. and Chances are you'll you'll be flying. Um, so Abby, let's talk about the competitions then that are not the major meets. So 
Uh, for example, we've got, you know, British, uh, British long course champs at the end of April. I personally, I've entered two races uh, prior to that. So one is kind of early March, it's the AP race. And then there's the Derbyshire long course championships early April. I think that's actually only two weeks out from British champs. I'm personally seeing those two competitions as just testers, see where I'm at. Um, I'm not putting any pressure on myself because I'm aiming for the for the British champs. It, You know, how how many of those competitions do you think that people should do? I mean, I know you said earlier on, like, you'd ideally do one before a major competition. How far out would you recommend that people do that? And what the what should the approach be from a, you know, should it be like focus on some technical aspects or just enjoy it? What, what's your message to your swimmers when, when they're entering these things? So I think, like I said earlier, we'll have like four prep meets in a year. Now, two of those prep meets may have a bit more kind of pressure on them because they are closer to your competition. But prep meets, in my mind, are there to prep. And that is that is the bottom line. And it, when I mean prep, I don't just mean, you know, your race practice. That's what you're going to have for breakfast on the morning of your competition. What are you going to have for lunch on the morning of your competition? What does that morning routine look like on the morning of a competition? When you're getting to the pool, what's a warm up that works best for you? What's your cool down that works best for you? What are you going to do behind the block? What are you going to do? And then what's your race strategy when you get in? So when Ken came to me last June um, in, like he said, a bit of a hole, I said to him, well, why are you doing these things? And I think Ken will back me up here that he couldn't he couldn't tell me why he just he just wanted it he just wanted to be he wanted to be good he wanted to be fab which he is but I said to him I was like right well you, have you tried this but it's really hard to try something when you are going 100% all of the time now Joe when you go to your meets one of them might not go to plan it, it might happen it happens to everyone it might not go to plan it might go great to plan but if a plan does, a meet doesn't go to plan but you've had a chance to go, right, I've tried that race strategy and I know that doesn't work for me. Let me part that to the side. I've tried that lunch and it made me feel really, really heavy for the afternoon session. I'm parking that to the side. So that by the time, and it might take a year or so to, to you know, kind of perfectionize your routine and to say kind of, yeah, this routine works for me. But actually, then you know that you're on to a winner because then all that's left is, I say all that's left is the training, but, you know, every every other factor around you, you've got control of, you know, all your factors. You know, we look at these kind of better swimmers in the world and people going out to, you know, Olympics this year, this year and a lot of them talk about their routines before and what they eat before. And like, I think the big, biggest, biggest example of that was, do you remember when Usain Bolt did the conversation about what he ate before the hundred and he was like, oh, 20 chicken nuggets, you know, like, and somebody said to him, well, that's really unhealthy. And he went, but that's what works best for me. And that's what's always worked best for me. Like, and I think that's just a perfect example is we all don't have the same routine and actually prep meats are there to create your routine. And I think, you know, for me, when Ken turned to me a couple of weeks ago, well, a week ago and said, oh, I'm going to this meet and I'm just going to give this a go. I'm going to try this. I'm going to see how this goes. It was music to my ears because I was like, the man is developing. The man knows what he's doing. Um, so I think, yeah, four prep meets and they are just that. They are to get to yourself as much as much preparation as possible to be able to then go in and know exactly what you're doing on race day. So, yeah very Definitely. long-winded answer for me but. no 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 that's that, that's fantastic um advice and it, it just reminded me actually I, i've got a friend who's a fantastic runner and um i mean literally he runs 5ks in around 16 minutes oh wow um, he's very very fast and his thing is he has a pop tart 
on the morning of a race. That's what that's his breakfast, which is a ridiculous breakfast. But he's like, but I like it and it works for me. <laughs> and yep. then of course he'll he'll refuel properly after the race. But I mean, he's thirty four now, and he's been re- you know relentlessly having pop tarts for like ten years on the morning <laughs> of a race. So it's it's fantastic. Also, to your earlier point of um, sometimes you you turn up and the race doesn't go so well. I can actually speak to that last year because I did a you know I mentioned the uh, the relay competition that I did yeah. in, in in March. Then in April was my first individual competition of the year, and I went the second slowest fifty freestyle of my master's life, um, and it was probably the slowest I've been since I was about fifteen years of age. And then in October, I went the fastest uh, 50 freestyle of my life. So I think you, your point is absolutely spot on that, you know, this having this expectation every time you turn up to try and get PVs is A, not a good idea and A, not realistic. And actually, I think for me, prior to 2023, I didn't used to do many competitions. Um, I used to I used to do nationals and then there'd be a couple down in the southeast that I do probably do three a year. And so I think I used to put this pressure on myself that every time I competed, it had to be amazing because I didn't do many of them. And then last year, I think I did seven, seven or maybe eight competitions. So I think I, I had this thing last year of like, well, if it doesn't go well, I've got another one in like four or five weeks. So it's fine. I don't have to yeah. wait another four months to put it right. And I think that that in itself, I think the idea of of having these prep meets is is actually it's it's great for that. It's great for for dusting off the cobwebs and getting yourself ready for the major ones just on the basis that you can kind of get the bad ones out of the way. Yeah. Um so so Ken, what in terms of yeah, you're you're prepping now for for this year. You've you've said already that you you've you've definitively said these are my prep ones, these are my targeted ones. So when you now go to a prep meet, are you already thinking um these are the things that I want to try? Yeah, it was interesting because Strangely enough, after nationals, it was like a bit of a reflection on the performance of nationals, and it and basically I've been I sort of spoke pretty quickly after it and said these are things that you got to work on. This is what we're going to see. She got a long diatribe for me on here's all the things that we're going to work on, and she looked like you're getting it at last. Um, um, so I'm really clear in terms of what I'm trying to achieve in. Um, Silver City meet. Um, some of the things I'm trying out. If they go well, they go well. If they don't, they don't. That's okay. Um, I'm going to try and actually enjoy it a lot more because sometimes, to your point, I end up kind of overthinking it and then get myself in a bit of a hole on the individual meet and enjoy the relays an awful lot more and tend to swim significantly faster in those as opposed to trying to just focus on the process and enjoying the the actual race a bit more and trying things out and not putting myself under pressure. And I, I don't know why we do it, but we do. But, um, you know, I, I think that's the kind of thing that I'm very conscious of, just trying to focus on the smaller parts of the, the race rather than the outcome. I think that's a really good answer. And, that just made me think actually um, about the decathlon and how people obviously are competing in the decathlon and therefore they've got a need to actually do quite a lot of competitions just in order to get all of the races in. Now, I'm not sure, Ken, if, if the decathlon is something that you personally go for. I don't think it is based on 
knowing what you swam last year, maybe it is this year, you, you might tell me different. Um, but for you, with you having maybe a small number of competitions that you really go for, um, does that? do you think that affects the amount of races that you would do a year? Because again, if you were somebody who swam all four strokes, for example, 50s, 100s and 200s, do you think you'd be entering more just literally to get them in? I mean, there's four strokes. <laughs> Apparently there are. <laughs> Apparently there are four strokes. I've never heard of these other ones that you talk of. Um, but, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I do enter them. And, I, and, you know, people laugh at me, but I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring for a breaststroke, which frustrates the living daylights out of a few people in, the, in, in my vicinity, um, as you can see. Um, but why not? You know, it's a bit of fun. You get a bit of race practice. You get a bit of a start. Understand what the starter's sort of timing is. Um, so, you know, I will, I will try them. I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at them, but and I've never really been that interested in doing the decathlon but who knows this year i might i might do a bit more than just a hundred we'll see we'll see but you know i mean, it was yeah, a, well, I mean you've entered. i've entered it too right? i did 200 im last year at the european masters which is an absolute car crash to be honest but that's another story um but it's interesting you talk about that because you know i often reflect on it and particularly when we're in, in the middle of meets and you know, when you see people getting sort of really in a hole and you kind of think, do you know what? And, and we've spoken about this before, that we had all this racing taken away from us in COVID and you would have given your right arm to be in that situation. So despite how hard it is and what it is, we couldn't train, we couldn't race. Um, and I think, you know, I, I try and keep it in check that, you know, I'm just trying to really enjoy it now. Because before it was all we were like serious and just making it happen, um, and I actually really enjoyed meeting lots of new people at the events and making new friends and seeing lots of catching up with people, what's going on with life, and actually just the opportunity to race again and just sort of taking the pressure off that you kind of think we lost all this for, and it was taken out of our hands. And you know, how do you you know enjoy it because we couldn't. We couldn't do any of it, and it was a pain in the backside, and I really, really missed it because I had to run. So, you know, that's not a great combination in itself. But um, I think trying to keep some of these things in context in relation to some of the, uh, the events and what you practice and trying to take some of that off, and I know Abby's kind of laughing because I put so much pressure into my individuals, but it's trying to recalibrate some of that stuff. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It reminds me of uh, of what Kath Tunnicliffe always says when she comes on the podcast, which is, um, you know, where every time she enters a competition and races, she enjoys it because she wonders whether, you know, one, it could be a last, you know, you, you never know. It could be the last race you ever do. And that's always her mindset. And I think there's yeah. uh, there's something to be said well, for that. I know, um, bit, I know it's a bit somber of it, but I, I had a real sort of... Um, Another adjustment just just last you know last couple of months when the previous guest of viewers and and uh, a Belper swimmer Dave Fisher you know I was really really shocked at his passing and you know he's he's younger than me it's very unfortunate you just kind of think he loved training loved being with the club and I find that like you know it's a terrible circumstance but extremely sobering in terms of. Just enjoy it. Just enjoy the process because you just don't know what's coming. 
Complete, completely agree. Uh, completely agree with that. And I, and I too was, yeah, very shocked to hear about Dave. Dave Fisher passed away. It was it was very sad news indeed. Um, Abby, I'm, I'm going to ask you to try and be a, a psychologist here. Um, when when you when you sort of speak to your swimmers ahead of a ahead of a race, wh- when it's one of these prep meets, not a major meet, how are you talking to those swimmers? Because if it's not a competition that they're going in thinking I'm going to get PBs here, that's potentially a dangerous thing to think. Because if you go in thinking, ah, oh, well, this one doesn't really matter anyway, you're already talking yourself out of the race. So, I mean, how do you talk to your swimmers ahead of these races to make sure that they're up for it enough? Yeah. So, it, like you said, it's a really fine line because I think for some of my swimmers, I am very open. Like with Swifty, I'm like, just to let you know, this is going to be a car crash of a weekend, but have fun. And for him, he he thinks very analytically. So he is like, I fully understand that. And he still goes out and gives it his all, but he knows that that pressure is not on as much. But I think the easiest way to say it to them is if you give it 100% in every single race, we can see where we're at. And when you see where you're at, it's easier to grow. So it's really hard sometimes when you go into a meet going, I'm going to give my 100% and then you come out really disappointed. It is so hard then to turn that on a positive and be like, right, these are the three things I need to go and do in training more because that's going to improve that. So I think this is the this is one of the beautiful things about master swimming. You guys all understand that this is a process and it is not going to happen overnight. And I think like you guys have just said there, it means a lot to us because we all give up so much time for this. You know, unlike when you're a child where your parent takes you around or you catch buses and da 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 da. When you're an adult, you've been at work all day, you're then giving up your evening with your partner to go swimming. You know, us coaches are giving up our evenings to go stand on a poolside. You're giving up a lot, lot more. So it means a lot more. So I think by turning to someone and saying, right, you might be a bit disappointed this weekend, but let's focus on this. We're reeling in that expectation. We're keeping positive And also we're ready to be reflective after. Because like Ken said there, I want people to reflect within the first 24 hours of the meet finishing. Because emotion, any kind of heightened emotion has subsided a bit. And that's when we're best to reflect. And when we take those away, like Ken sent me a massive old list this year. And I just said, like, let's control the controllables. And as simple as that, we can't control everything that goes off around us. What we can do is we can control these things. And this is where we need to work. So yeah, it's a really fine line. And I think it comes with the relationship you build your swimmers as well. Like I've been with my guys now, this is my third season with them. And I think Way the way I speak to them now is very different to the way I spoke to them in that first season. In my first season, I would have never turned to them and said, "This is going to be a hard weekend for us all." Um, but let's just get on with it. Like Tim Gleason is the best example of this. He got out of his hundred breaststroke at um, the Yorkshire Championships in May this year, and just turned to me and just did like a gulp of like. I don't know what happened. And I turned to him and I've, I've truthfully said, that was the worst 100 breaststroke I've ever seen you do. <laughs> and I said, truthfully, and he looked at me and went, but these are the three things I need to improve. And he, for him to be able to instantly say, but this is where I need to improve was just massive. To then mm-hmm. our army then go two seconds quicker and then to PB at nationals a few weeks later, that that's the progression we want. And sometimes honesty is the best policy. Um but I think, yeah, you've just got to skirt the line carefully. But for some people, actually being really honest helps them develop as a person and as a swimmer. 
Yeah, I completely agree. I, I had a really um, interesting experience myself last year with with mindset when it comes to to racing. Where, where I think when I say a really interesting experience, I mean where I really noticed that my mindset played a part. Um, so at nationals, I was uber confident and I think it's just because I knew I'd done months and months and months of just very consistent training which I've never done before to be honest with you um where I like hardly missed a session and I was doing you know doing more than I'd ever done before as well not not crazy amounts more but the fact that I wasn't missing sessions was the thing and so I remember just being behind the blocks and being so confident and then the times that I managed to get showed and then um so the previous year, what I'd done is after nationals, I decided to have a kind of a, th- a three week, a, a couple of weeks where I just had some downtime and I thought I'll, I'll still train, but I just train once or twice a week, just have a bit of a break. I decided I'd do the same at the back end of last year after nationals because I, you know, I'd, I'd hardly missed a session all year, so I thought I'd do have a few weeks off. But I entered Etwall, which was I think three weeks after after nationals, three or four, and I remember turning up. And I was so chilled about the about the event to the point where honestly I may as well have not turned up, and um, and I know I hadn't trained as much for three or four weeks, but you'd think really, especially on a sprint, the speed would still be there. And I think I did a fifty freestyle, and it was about a second and a half slower than my nationals time. And I was so annoyed with myself that night because I thought I talked myself out of that race for weeks because I was telling myself for weeks, oh, well, I'm not really training now, and that doesn't really matter. And I, and I was annoyed at myself and I actually had, and Ken will find this funny, the following, that was the Saturday, the following day on the Sunday, we had our club championships, the Belper Marlins club championships, which is predominantly for the age groupers, but master swimmers are invited to come and swim. And I'd naively hoped that there would be other master swimmers competing. I was the only one. And, um, and if you were over the age of, I think, 12 or 13, just because of the... Um, the pool time they had uh, if you were over the age of 12 or 13 you weren't allowed to swim at 50 meters so i basically lined up with 10 year olds and um but i didn't know this was going to happen until i got there but i was so annoyed with myself on the saturday night <laughs> ken's laughing at me i love it it's so funny on the saturday night after the etwall goal i was so annoyed with myself for for just talking myself out of that race all day that i was like tomorrow club champs I'm deadly serious. And then, of course, I turned up and they're all 10-year-olds. And uh, I thought, I thought I don't believe my luck here. But just because I was more serious, I went half a second faster the next night. Yeah. Half it's, a second faster. Yeah, it's amazing. There is so much to be said for mindset. But, like, going into that 50 you were speaking about there, going in being like, oh, I haven't trained for three weeks – that like I think I think we've all done that we've all gone oh god I haven't trained so let's just let's just give it a go but if you'd gone into that like with what I try and force my lot to think right I've not trained for three weeks at nationals I only did three fly kicks let me try five and just see how that works and then am I going to take one breath away or am I going to need to add one breath if you'd come out of that one and a half seconds slower and gone right I've tried five fly kicks it, it actually made me faster off my dive but not off my turn then that's something then to take back to when you are fit so it, it's it's all about trying to find the positive and the negative, but also it's so hard sometimes to keep going for that long and keep being like, oh, I need to do well, I need to do well, I need to do well, because then it's the borderline of the pressure and anxiety versus racing well in it. So it's all a bit, yeah, chaotic. No, completely agree. Ken, final question. Um, sacrificial uh races this is something that i've i heard a few people talk about last year that if they're doing a, a big meet or something like that 
they almost enter something as their first race, maybe just a 50 or 100 that they're not overly bothered about, but it's just to kind of get the first race out, out the way. And then their second and third race, they're the ones that they're serious about. Is that something that you're interested in or you think about? I had until you mentioned it on this podcast, um, whenever it was, a couple of, couple of ones back. Um, I kind of thought about it a bit. And, I, and sometimes I don't know if I'm fresher on the first one and it actually just gets the nerves down a bit um, and get a little bit of tiredness into the system that then you don't think so much about the next race. But um, I'm not sure if I'm honest because I've, I'm trying not to then get into a psychology of every beat then the first race is going to be crap um, on the basis of if that's the one you really want to perform in, you don't want your headspace to be wrong. Um, so I think a lot of that is around trying to do a much more, I'm trying to do a lot more of following exactly the same warm up routine, you know, making sure if it's long course, I'm going to do this as told. Short course, I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to get out. Then get into kind of the the warm up pool. You know, half an hour before race, get ready, get dried off, get straight down, and go. Um, and trying to get into much more consistent rhythm and routine of that, rather than think about this is sacrificial or it's the last one. I should be knackered. Um, and trying trying to think of it that way rather than lose my first race just because it's my first race not as in lose as in not expect to perform as well particularly on a big meet if that's like if your big meet's the one that you want to concentrate on that's just the way the schedule drops so trying to think more about that than you know is the water wet yeah it's still wet so that's great well done um i think that's i think that's a brilliant point and um yeah, I think I think for me, I never I never plan to do a sacrificial race. But if my first race doesn't go very well, I'll just say ah, sacrificial, whatever. But no, I I absolutely agree. You sh- I I think the idea of doing a sacrificial race, you're just wasting your energy doing that. It's uh, I, I mean, listen, some people might swear by it. They might say, you know, I'll just enter a random hundred that I'm not bothered about just to dust off the cobwebs. It's not for me personally, but but obviously everybody's got their own opinion. What what what's your opinion on on sacrificial races, Abby? So I think, again, it depends on the individual. So I think for most people, it's, like you said, a bit of a waste of energy, especially if you've done your warm-up correctly, you've done your prep before your race. Um, I tried something this year with October with Ken that he's now finding out about because I'm now going to tell him. Um, his, I think pretty sure his first event this year was a relay, and I put him in last leg because Ken races best when he's chasing people down. And sorry to all your, his competitors because he does. He, he when he's got the bit between his teeth and he's ready to go, that's when he races best. And actually, it was his first meet having been under cost as a coaching team. So it's his his first. He only needed that confidence in my eyes. So actually putting him on that last leg of the relay really got him going for it and really got him like right. I feel confident for this now because if you also put someone third, second, third, fourth, their their split is going to be a rolling split. So it's automatically going to make him feel a bit better because the split's going to be rolling anyway, um, rather than like a standing start. So I think it can be good for some people, especially if they're very anxiety filled or they're very in their own head, like Ken was at the beginning of the season. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately it's a bit of a 
you need to evaluate what your weekend looks like. Again, looking back at how many events you have per session, when your major events fall, you know, do you are you one of those people that know they need to get out of out of the pool once a session just to go get some air? Like how does that fit in? And like Ken says, once you've got that routine down to a T because of all your prep meets, you'll know exactly what should and shouldn't fit into your into your weekend. Yes, yeah, so that, uh, that's a great answer. I, I tried to say that before, but I was on mute. Um, but there we go. But l- l- listen, that was a really interesting conversation. I hope that's helpful to people. Um, and actually, Ken, really interesting to hear just how your mindset has changed over the course of, of 12 months. And I'm quite excited to see how you get on now this year with with all of that in mind. Um, and of course, the, the Sheffield guys uh, under the wing of Abby. Um, so no, it's, it's all very exciting stuff. Um, yeah, thank you very much, Abby. Thank you, Ken. That was a great, uh, great conversation. And I'll see you all soon.